0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Tuesday, May 30th, 2023. It's about 11 o'clock in the morning here on the east coast of the United States. I am happily back in the U.S. after my most enjoyable trip to Switzerland last week. Colonel Daniel Davis joins us now. Colonel, it's always a pleasure. Uh, Thank you for uh, spending your time with us. Uh, Colonel, er earlier uh, this morning, Moscow time, uh, several drones, uh, Ukrainian drones were exploded in a high-end residential uh, neighborhood not far from the official residence of president vladimir putin there's one of them going off now, now that one it landed in an empty field but can you tell from looking at at the residue of that if it was a significant event
0: uh they definitely did those uh, at least some of the drones it doesn't appear that they were all at the same time but especially that one and apparently some of the others packed quite a punch uh, and a very heavy uh, payload that, so you, you could see if that had actually hit a building, it would have caused substantial damage. Uh, but then some of the others that actually did strike the high rise apartment buildings in the high end neighborhoods you're talking about, uh, some of them caused only minor damage. So I guess they had different kinds there, but it, probably this was just a test of the Kiev regime to, to see what they could get through and, and how effective it would be. And uh, I'm sure that this won't be the last time we see Moscow attacked.
1: Does this uh, tell you anything about uh, Russian air defenses, or is there something about drones that, you know, educate us? Do they elude normal air defenses?
0: Uh, A lot of them, in fact, uh, most of them were shot down. And as you see, uh, Ukraine's gotten quite good at this. They, They shoot down a vast majority of the drones that the Russia sends to them. Although that there's various reasons for that, which I'll explain in a minute, but uh, it is a bit of an embarrassment for Moscow that this many did get through because it's been warned about for many months the expectation that Moscow was going to be hit. So it doesn't look like they were completely prepared. The uh, Putin this morning actually acknowledged that, that it was, there was some holes that has to be uh, filled up, but that it largely did the job and, and the majority were shot down, but uh, they definitely are going to, do some tightening up, I'm sure.
1: Um, why would they have uh, sent these drones to residential neighborhoods?
0: Well, that's a big question, because uh, on, on the Russian side, you know, they, they not bad of any morality per se. I mean, I guess you could say they do, but they send them to military targets, and especially this uh, high-intensity uh, campaign that Russia is currently uh, launching, both in Kiev and throughout Ukraine, there are military targets that are designed to thwart their potential offensive coming up. And that's what makes sense. If you're going to do, you know, any kind of long range strikes, whether it's air or drone, you want to be able to hit something that's militarily significant that will weaken your enemy. This uh, doesn't even appear that they targeted anything military, just into Moscow, I guess, for the shock value of it. But uh, Kiev has to be careful because this could have a, a an opposite effect in that it could uh, harden Moscow's reserve and harden the resolve of the people, not make them panic or want to quit the war. So uh, they have to be careful when they take these actions.
1: So Moscow is uh, 620 miles from Ukraine. Can these drones fly that distance with that accuracy or might they have been launched from somewhere else along the way that is Uh, inside of Russia?
0: It, it, I think that's what they're trying to do, some forensic right now to try to find out. There's definitely platforms that can make that, uh, that trick. Uh, in fact, I think some of the uh, analysis I saw coming out of Russia this morning was they think some of it came from the Chernihiv and the Sumi regions, which are bordering areas uh, of Russia. But like the, the attack that hit the Kremlin uh, earlier in, in this month, uh, that likely was launched from within Russia, probably not too far away. And some of these could well have been, so that's uh, probably a combination.
1: You um, you spoke a few moments ago, Colonel, about uh, President Putin's reference to holes in the uh, Russian air defense. What's the status of the Ukrainian air defenses? I mean, you, you'll you recall when we discussed the documents that the government says uh, were released exclusively by Jack Teixeira, the, the young uh, National Guardsman from Massachusetts, Uh, No one's challenged the authenticity or accuracy of the documents, and among the takeaways from them is the view of the U.S. military senior command that by the end of May, which is tomorrow, uh, Ukraine's air defenses will have been degraded almost down to zero. Is that happening?
0: Yeah, I don't know that it's going to be down to zero, because potentially in part because of that release, uh, apparently a lot of the allies have been uh, forking over a lot more missiles because they realize that it is running low. But that's part of the plan of Russia and why they're making a lot of these attacks. Uh, and and on a near daily basis now, I think in large measure, to cause them to de- deplete their missile capacity, their anti-aircraft missile capacity. And that's why you see, in in uh, especially in Kiev, uh, Ukraine has put the majority of their anti-aircraft systems around the capital to protect it. And Of course, they've been boasting that they shot down 52, 54 uh, drones in this uh, last attack yesterday, but that comes at the expense of the rest of the country. So like in Odessa, in uh, Kharkiv, in in Dnieper Travosk and several other important cities around, they don't have that much air defense. And so now Russia's taking advantage of that, and they're hitting these areas very effectively with almost none of the missiles getting shot down in some of the places that directly hit their military capacity, uh, especially to wage war. And, and so it's a, it's a complex event, but if it continues on and if Russia continues to do this, then they, the Ukraine side may even uh, run short of missiles, even in Ukraine, uh, Kiev. Um,
1: going back to the uh, drones that uh, were exploded this morning in residential neighborhoods uh, in Moscow, would American intelligence uh, have known of this in advance? And if the answer to that is yes, would uh american either state department or dod have consented to this or uh is is Zelensky a loose cannon just sending drones to residential neighborhoods not far from where the president of russia lives
0: yeah i think the answer to that is no i don't think that we did and that's one of the other things that the deshera leaks has exposed is that uh, there's a lot of things that the ukraine side doesn't share with us and doesn't tell us and I looked back uh, a week or so ago to that the ground incursion into the Belgorod region where they expressly used american armor to make this penetration into russia which of course we say we don't want them to do they've told them not to yet they did and i think that that's this part of this is a test also uh of the Zelensky regime to see is the West get ever going to push back? They say we shouldn't do this, but if we do, what are they going to do? And I, hmm. I think that uh, that's kind of what's going on here. I don't see any, at least public, pushback on any of this. Uh, so I expect it will continue.
1: Here's um, a clip of one of uh, President Zelensky's uh, staunchest supporters in the American government, uh, Senator Lindsey Graham. In my view, what you're about to hear him say is truly reprehensible and even dangerous but he, he sometimes says these things. Let's watch and listen and then um I'll be anxious f- for your thoughts. Nice to meet
2: you.
0: How you sir? We have, we had, we have, I think, just whole meeting.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks, United States people of, of the United States for all big support.
0: Thank you so much. Free or time. Free or die?
2: Now you are free.
0: Yes.
1: And we will be.
0: And the Russians are dying. It's the best money we've ever spent. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much. The Russians are dying. It's the best money we've ever spent. I'm sure President Putin has heard that and has a, a very strong, even harsh opinion of it. What do you think?
0: Yeah, that, what we found out is that the Ukraine side actually edited that uh Ah, uh, sound bites together to put those two things together to make it sound worse than it was. But in context, it was still pretty bad because you saw when uh, Lindsey Graham was talking about killing Russians how his face was beaming. So under I- any explanation, uh, mm-hmm. I find it troubling that an American is so happy that for other people to be getting killed. Uh, even in the case of a, of a war, it's it's something, as as someone who's fought in war, I never was gleeful about enemy soldiers that we had to kill. It's just an unpleasant thing, but to celebrate it just is, is a problem, I think. And to your point about Russia's response, I believe we see that. Just, uh, I believe, hours ago, they actually put out an arrest warrant for Lindsey Graham, which, of course, won't be enforced any more than the one for Vladimir Putin. But uh, they are expressing their outrage. Do you uh, see a slow... Uh, movement toward a larger
1: conflagration, Colonel. Whether the U.S. is using Ukraine as a battering ram, or whether people like Senator Graham just subliminally talk about American dollars killing Russian boys, it's it's almost as if there's a subconscious recognition uh, of American physical involvement in this war, or of America's wish, I say Americas, I mean the Biden administration's wish for a wider war?
0: I I, I don't know if it's, if it's the way I think or the way I hope, but I don't think that anybody wants a wider war. What I think is that there's a lot of people that are, like Senator Graham appears to be there, gleeful at the possibility of, quote, harming Russia. And of course, that means translated into killing Russians and destroying their military. And I think they are happy to accept using Ukraine as the battering ram because Ukraine wants that. They, they desire to do it. And I think people are like in Washington are very happy to continue to support that as long as it goes. I don't think that they want to expand the war. They basically want their cake and eat it too.
1: Senator uh, Graham from South Carolina, uh, a state that is home to many, many uh, military families, but he's also a general in the Air Force Reserve. Now, he's a, he's a judge advocate general Meaning he's in the he's on the legal side, you know. He's not uh, flying of a, a fighter jet, uh, but comments like this um, give me the creeps. It's it's almost as if we we are sleepwalking into World War III.
0: Well, my my concern is that there may be many that have this belief that, yeah, sure, we can just keep going, you know, s- supporting this at this certain level. And and even even the Biden administration has limited what they've given in terms of amounts of equipment, et cetera. So they haven't given them enough to really, you know, uh, have a great rolling thunder, so to speak, of, of large scale tanks and aircraft and other kinds of things. But I think that the danger is that you think, well, we can manage this and just keep it contained there we succeed because Russia gets hurt and then eventually it'll end the it'll come to some kind of negotiated settlement and we'll move on. But that assumes that you can control it, that the Russians act like they're supposed to, and that they don't escalate things uh, because, you know, they get hit uh, in in their capital or if something else happens later on, or they just get tired of all the help that the West is given and they expand the target list. I mean, so many things could happen, uh, and that it could escalate beyond our ability. And that is the biggest danger for America and why I'm so an advocate that we need to get this thing wrapped up so that we don't have that risk.
1: Why do the neocons hate Russia? Why do they hate President Putin? What do they really want to achieve?
0: Yeah, they, this they never escape the Cold War. For For many people, Judge, in my view, they never, they didn't like losing the cold war. And when I say losing, I mean, like they didn't have it to hold on to anymore. And the hatred for Russia was built in all during that time and it never left. And of course we immediately turned them into the, to the enemy immediately upon the drop of USSR. And that's why NATO began to expand almost immediately and never stopped. You know, that's still the issue right now. And I think they just never escaped the cold war mentality.
1: Here's uh, one of their cheerleaders, with one of her latest outbursts, uh, Deputy uh, Secretary of State Victoria Newland. This is from May 27th, so this is uh, this past weekend. On Saturday of Memorial Day weekend, she says this.
2: And even as you plan for the counteroffensive, which we have been working on with you for some four or five months, we are already beginning our discussions Uh, with the Ukrainian government and with friends in Kiev, both in the civilian side and on the military side about Ukraine's long-term future.
1: So is this kind of a public uh, comment from a a civilian leader in the State Department? Uh, Normal, we've been working with you on this offensive for four to five uh, months. I mean, could, could you imagine the secretary of uh, state of the united states or the secretary of defense of the united states having said publicly to the british in the weeks before d day we're working on this offensive
0: and and you know and there's another analogy too that's possibly more disturbing to me imagine if while we were still fighting the afghanistan war before that ended you had the uh, one of the senior Russian diplomats saying, hey, we've been working with the Taliban to kill Americans and uh, we've been doing this for months. I mean, we would be going crazy. And that's right. exactly what this is going to do in Russia. This completely uh, validates the the Russian uh, menta- uh, claims that this is the West against them. In fact, Lavrov again this morning at a, at a speech, uh, said, look, this is just a full-scale war of the West against us, and they're just using Ukraine as the, as the tool, but it's against us, and this validates that, because she expressly says the United States is working with Ukraine to attack Moscow and Russia, so I, I mean, it couldn't be any more clear than that, and it's not in America's interest to do that, and I think that sometimes silence is the, the much better course of action.
1: Do you think the uh, spring offensive is, I guess it's going to be a summer offensive now. There's only three weeks left of the spring, but without getting semantic uh, here, uh, do you think that this Ukrainian offensive is going to come? Or do you think that all this preparation and all this announcement of it has given the Russians so much notice that when the uh, offensive comes, it'll be like it'll be a pipsqueak?
0: Yeah, I, I fear that that is what's going to happen. Uh, there's lots of analogies uh, in, in a military history where the defenders had uh, you know lots of advance warning and were prepared. Uh, and the offensive was, uh, when it did strike, it was just bloodied in a bad situation. And I think that's what's going to happen here because Russia definitely is prepared. Uh, but you had just uh, two days ago, I think, there, the National Security Advisor uh, Danilov for uh, Ukraine. And yesterday, uh, Zelensky both basically said we're ready and within days this thing could launch. So I think they're going to try to do something at some point on the front, but I think it's a high risk gamble because if it fails, they've got no striking power left and then they would be very vulnerable to a large scale Russian counterattack, which uh, according to many reports, they actually have the force in waiting now. So it's a high stakes gamble.
1: Is it realistic to think that the Ukrainians, whether they're going to use tanks or whatever, I know tanks is your field. Um, can um, take back land that uh, President Putin signed a decree is now part of Russia. They've issued a million and a half Russian passports to those people there. The overwhelming majority, well more north of 90%, are Russian-speaking and Russian-culturally. Is, is it realistic to think, no matter what Victoria Nuland and President Zelensky say, that the Ukrainians can take that
0: that land back? Uh, Look, the the reason why Ukraine had their one signature success uh, last fall, where they took back massive swaths of territory in the north in the Kharkiv area, is because they caught Russia's napping. And Russia had only a thin line of defense on the northern part because they didn't think an attack was going to come. They thought it was coming in Kyrgyzstan. To Ukraine's credit, they massed a large force down there and just rolled over and moved them back. Russia learned from that. And now then there is elaborate belt defensive in depth throughout the whole line. Now that there is no soft area for Ukraine to, to find an attack like that. So they're going to, I'm sure they've been probing to try to find where is the weakest spot. And they're going to try to find that spot and to at least get something so that they can have a narrative that they have some success. But the problem is even those weak spots comparatively are stronger than what they faced last year. And it's possible that they could just get chewed up uh, because they have to attack out into the open. And there's always a lot higher risk of that. And that plays right into Russia's strength, which is significant artillery advantage over the Ukraine side. And so I, I fear that it could be a very bloody uh, and unsuccessful event. But, uh, you know, we'll wait and see um
1: we're going to run the victoria newland clip again i want you to pay attention to the uh, colonel to the second half of what she says uh about preparation for the future which we have not yet discussed i'd like to ask you some questions about it gary can you run and it?
2: even as you plan for the counteroffensive, which we have been working on with you for some four or five months we are already beginning our discussions Uh, with the Ukrainian government and with friends in Kyiv, both in the civilian side and on the military side, about Ukraine's long-term future.
1: What is she talking about? Isn't Ukraine a sovereign, independent country? Why would the United States be talking to Ukraine and friends in Kyiv, I guess that means the CIA and their their sources, uh, about the future of the Ukrainian government?
0: yeah that's that's uh something that the ukraine side needs to be worried about uh as opposed to the russian side what what is the expectation there uh because frankly we've got a horrible track record at trying to help some other country govern itself and trying to give them ideas about it uh so uh, i think that's a bad plan but it's it is a little concerning that there appears to be plans to try and help out with that and um don't think that would go over very well with the ukrainians anyway who already don't like, uh, you know, us meddling. They like all of our stuff and everything we give them, uh, but they, they don't like us interfering too much. And that's why you see that some of the times they've actually hide things from us that uh, we would probably like to know.
1: Um, I, I know your field is military and not intelligence, but is, is the type of statement we just saw twice now from uh, Secretary uh, Newland normal, that type of announcement?
0: Well, it didn't used to be and, and i think that you see a, a blurring of the lines between uh information operations so to speak where you try to shape the the narrative and intelligence and and some things you want to signal and some things you don't and and this unless it's a deception where they're trying to make russia think something's going to happen in one place and it's really another uh it's you know you've got to question why why would you give that kind of information uh, but it could also be frankly uh you know hubris and arrogance that hey, I can say whatever I want it doesn't matter what Russia hears because they're they're not capable of doing anything anyway, and if that's the case, that's even worse because uh, arrogance is always a precursor to making big mistakes.
1: Do you think the American um, foreign policy establishment uh, represented by the views of Secretary Newland uh, is aware of the dangers of all of this, given the nuclear capability
0: uh, of Russia? No, I don't think they are. I think that most mm-hmm. in the West have just dismissed that possibility and said, I'll, they'll never do that. I, I've actually heard people say that, even in print in some places. They say it's overblown, uh, it's, it's not. they're never gonna do that because they know the retaliation would be certain and swift uh, and that kind of careless attitude about something that is literally catastrophic for mankind if it went completely bad, is a dangerous step and a big problem because we need to keep front and center that there has to be limits to what we can do and where we can go because they have that nuclear capacity and you don't ever want to put russia in a position where they feel desperate or where they feel like their existential threat is is, uh being imposed on them because they could act on it. And uh, as I've said several times, I think even on your show, there is no chance that Russia would ever be driven from the field, especially when you start getting into Crimea and then not use tactical nuclear weapons. So if we succeeded like Victoria Newland's talking about, then the chance of nuclear escalation goes through the roof. And that is not in American interest. And we need to really recalibrate just what our goals and objectives in this war really are.
1: Well said, Colonel. Well said and brilliantly explained. Thank you so much for joining us today. Much appreciated. Always my pleasure, Judge. Thank you. Of course. More as we get it. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom.